right, here we go. Good to see everyone tonight. Glad that you're here. We've, of course, we've got a lot of people involved in summertime activities, a lot of stuff happening. Uh, in our class, we ran across an illustration I'd like to share with you. Just uh, something about, it's a, an analogy comparing a church to a boat. It says here, in the 19, late 1940s, the United States government commissioned the building of an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. The purpose was to design a ship that could speedily carry 15,000 troops during times of war. By 1952, um, construction of the SS United States was complete. The ship could travel at 44 knots and could steam 10,000 miles without stopping for fuel or supplies. It was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the world. The only catch is it never carried troops. Instead, the SS United States became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of states, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on it during its 17 years of service. As a luxury liner, it couldn't carry 15,000 people. Instead, it could house just under 2,000 passengers. Those passengers could enjoy the luxuries of 695 staterooms, four dining salons, three bars, two theaters, five acres of open deck with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and comforts of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. Instead of vessel used for battle during wartime, the SS United States became a means of indulgence for wealthy patrons who desired to coast peacefully across the Atlantic. And uh, the analogy is, is our church a work vessel or a luxury liner which we sit back and enjoy somebody bring me some more d'oeuvres and another drink or are we outfitted for less comfort and a building a place a boat that is used for his honor and glory and certainly that's what we want uh, as and it's really it's a good analogy or illustration to an old saying that I've used many times before, and that is this, is our church a museum for saints or a hospital for sinners? Is our church a museum for saints or a hospital for sinners? In which we can bring someone to know Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, most museums have the roped off areas that say, do not touch do not, uh, you know, nothing can be done here except looking, and that's it. Uh, certainly, we want a work boat. We want a work vessel. Let's head to First Peter chapter 3. We'll begin reading with verse 13. And the title for this message tonight is Going Through Rough Times. Going Through Rough Times. First Peter chapter 3. And verse 13, the Word of God says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that 
which is good. And that uh, looking right here, we're in looking at uh, Peter gets into a little section about suffering and suffering for the right reason and going through tough times. And it says, who is he that will harm you? You know, I think about this. Uh, Peter's going to be referring back uh, to a couple of things here. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and mention a verse that I want you to go to right now. And that's 1 Peter 2.12. So just back up to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. It says this, And having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that means your manner of life, that whereas they, they uh, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, in other words, somebody is looking at our life, and it says here, so you're supposed to live a Christ-like life, according to 1 Peter 2.12, they speak against you as evildoers. So, you're trying to live a good life. You're trying to live a life for the Lord. And people may say something about it. People may not like you living for the Lord. People may not agree with you living for the Lord. People may get uh, upset about you living for the Lord. So God is with us even in tough times. Now... Back up to another verse, just uh, not too far back. Romans chapter 8. Now, the most famous verse, probably, in Romans 8 is verse 28. But that's not the one we're going to read. I want you to look at uh, another good one. I've got it marked in my Bible. And Romans eight twenty-eight is awesome. God is... Uh, just, uh, he's going to take care of you. He knows all things work together for good. But look at verse 31. Romans 8, 31 says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So listen, right now, going through rough times means this. I'm trying to serve the Lord, but let me ask you this. If you're trying to serve the Lord tonight, will you ever get discouraged? <laughs> if you're trying to serve the Lord, does that mean that nothing's going to break down? <laughs> if you're trying to serve the Lord, does it mean you'll never have a difficulty? And somebody used an illustration one time. Matter of fact, I, uh, I forgot that Kenneth was helping to move his uh, son, uh, and so Josh, and, and so I emailed, and I said, oh, and can, uh, Brother Jeff said, where's the, the, your sermon, Brother Michael? I said, oh, well, let me go get it. So I ran over to the house and, uh, okay, plugged it in there, shoop, shipped it over to that little micro thumb drive. Remind me, i got to pick that thing up back there. But as I was going through there, we've got uh, those pretty rose bushes right there in the flower bed. It caught on my jacket. And I was, ah, let go. And I was trying to get through the little gap there to go by the house. And, you know, roses, are that, they're real pretty, but there's, there's thorns. And, you know, God's got blessings for us, but there's thorns among the pretty parts. There's, the, there's things that will hurt our feelings, things that will hurt our pride, things that will... And the world throws these things at us, and God allows them to be thrown at us. 
And so there, God, there's, there's blessings among the thorns is what I'm trying to say. But it doesn't mean that serve the Lord that we're not going to have problems. We're going to go through rough times. It says here, back in our text, this is pretty interesting. It says, if you be followers of that which is good. The word followers there is an interesting word. In the original, it means someone who imitates or mimics. Now, who is the one we're supposed to follow? Jesus. He's the one we're to imitate or to follow. He's our uh, our pattern, if you will. Now, let me ask you this. He's really our role model. And I've mentioned this before to you. You are a role model to others. People are watching your life. And it says, if you're going to be followers of that which is good, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be a, and a role model for people to see but what kind of role model are we being? Are we positive? Or are we negative? Do we, do we gripe? Do we complain? Do we lift others up? Or do we tear them down? Moving on to verse 14. 1 Peter 3 and verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now, when it says, do not be afraid of their terror, what does that mean? The word terror there just means this. It just means uh, the, the stuff that causes us to fear. You can say, well, I'm afraid. You can be afraid of what people may say, what people may think. If we're really not afraid of, you say, well, I'm not afraid of anybody. Well, then it shouldn't harm us to talk to everybody. <laughs> if we're not afraid of anybody, we ought to be talking to everybody. But a lot of times we don't talk because we're just... We're, we, you know, we think about what others may say. Also, it says here, happy are you. Did you know that's the exact same word for uh, blessed over there? Blessed are the they that mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Beatitudes is what I'm talking So, So, really, so I'm happy. The word doesn't mean just happy. But, uh, matter of fact, I, I put it in my notes here because I said, well, this is a good phrase uh, that it actually... There's someone described that original meaning as this, to be highly privileged. Think about that. You know, I thought about that scripture. Jesus said, remember those Beatitudes? We've kind of been over them before. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be... Anybody remember some of you said it, comforted. Blessed are they that mourn. Well, that doesn't sound too exciting. I want a Christian life where I cry. I want a Christian life where blessed are they that are persecuted. I want to sign up for that. Where is that in the contract? I mean, I'm, I want to join a church where everybody's upset. I want to join a church where everybody's persecuted. But what it's talking about, the word mourn, really means broken hearted. If we're really a church that cares about the lost, should not we be broken? If we're really a church that loves Jesus, shouldn't we be upset if people aren't living right? If we have church members that are back? Have you ever thought about that? Should I care? And you say, well, I care. But if we don't ever shed a tear or come pray at the altar, or if we never move or do anything for Him, we don't care. Amen or oh me? 
I mean, if we never do anything, we don't care. If we really care, we would be broken over lost or backslidden people. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Really blessed. And again, this interesting phrase about it, to be highly privileged or to be highly favored. So if I get to be persecuted, I ought to say, Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be persecuted. That doesn't sound logical. That doesn't sound like it makes sense. I'm supposed to praise Jesus because somebody doesn't like me serving the Lord? So, back to that role model. I want to suffer for righteousness' sake. I want to be happy. I want to be highly favored. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Go over to 1 Peter 4, 16. Jesus is our example in this. 1 Peter 4, 16, it says this. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his on this behalf. So that's what it means. Oh, by the way, this is interesting. I've got a little uh, mark. I've got these uh, margins in this Ryrie Study Bible, and I put in here. Uh, if any man suffer, a good way to say that, as a follower of Christ... The word Christian only occurs three times in your Bible, and this is the third one. The other two times are over in Acts. Acts 11.26 and Acts 26.28. 26, so I was kind of repetitive right there. Acts 11.26 and Acts 26.28. First time is used derogatorily. To be highly privileged. I need to suffer for the right reasons. Let's back up now to first, back in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is just simply being ready. You have to give God time or priority. It says here, but sanctify means, you know, we've been studying that, and uh, Dennis and, and Steve and their class and Billy Don, they've been talking about sanctification and holiness and, and uh, that, the, some of the phrases we've been looking at in that class. And really, think about that. But it says here, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, our hearts, plural, and uh, so what does that mean? I need, to, I need to make God important. God needs to be important. My, what about our priorities? And, uh, you know, I got, uh, I sent, this week I contacted, I don't know about y'all, I'm challenging you, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip and say, well, you ain't going to put me on a guilt trip, but let the Lord do it. <laughs> I contacted two families that wasn't here last Sunday. Come on, y'all. Y'all need to help me out here. Can't do this by myself. Pick out somebody that wasn't here last Sunday and contact them. Okay. Or, excuse me, forget that, because y'all... Pick out somebody who's not here this Sunday, contact them. Okay? Let them know. But I, 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 these two 
families, I sent them a text. Some people text, some people don't. They did. So I sent that. Well, and they said, well, we're, thank you for missing us, but we ain't going to be there next Sunday either. Because <laughs> they had stuff going on talking about today. But I did two things right. Number one, I let them know I'm missing them. We all ought to do that. That's called being an encourager. And number two, I did another thing, and that is I said, uh, praying for you, hope to see you soon. And I did. I said a short three-second prayer. It doesn't take long to do these things I'm mentioning. And But one reason that, or two, the, both, the reason for both these was uh, there was something and that, uh, that they said, we're going to do this. We're gonna do, they're going to help me preach. And uh, there's something going on. There's something go- that you know, we're going to do. But we do, we do that all the time. Now, it could have been recreation. It could have been ball. It could have been, it could have been anything. It doesn't matter. We definitely have a lot of ball playing on Sundays nowadays. But... Uh, but basically this, but when you say sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, I know what that means. Y'all know that? I know it means make God important. So put Him in an importance. If, it, if you're living a sanctified life, it means a set-aside life. I'm, my life is for Him. If you're living a sanctified life, it means my life is for Him. If you're living a holy life, that's, all, that's a synonym. I'm, I'm living a life for the Lord. You, you can be holy for Buddha. You can be holy for Muhammad. You can be holy for Hare Krishna. You can be holy for anybody. It means set aside, set apart. That's why it says God is holy. He is apart from us. That's the reason we can't get to Him without, without Jesus. All right? So... The Bible says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. Uh, to give an answer means a, it's a cool word. It's, it means a, a, an offense. It's kind of neat. It just means a defense, to give an answer. Uh, last Sunday, a matter of fact, I did this, and I don't know if I mentioned this last Sunday or not, After uh, whenever we went to church camp. But uh, we had a different class than the, when the one I teach. I offered, can you offer a defense? Can do you have Bible verses that come to your mind or a section? I know I don't know about y'all's Bible, but in the in the front and back flap, I've got especially my other Bible, and this right here, these blank pages on the front and back flaps of your Bible. Some people will write helpful things uh, like, uh, where did I? There's some there. And uh, none there. I used to write in there different helpful things that I'd find. Like, do you know any Bibles, or excuse me, verses that you'd say, well, hey, the Bible says this if you believe that homosexuality is a sin. Because, well, uh, you know, what's a, if somebody thinks that it's not, they'll say, well, we're just supposed to love everybody. But does the Bible say, does, what does the Bible say? say? Well, I don't know, but I can find it. Well, write it down. Put it in the blank spot. Find a blank spot in your Bible. Do you have any verses that come to your mind uh, on gambling? Are there any verses? I gave them some. I gave them about five or six or seven verses. It doesn't say thou shalt not gamble, but it says he that desires to get rich quick will come to poverty. 
Basically, let's roll the dice, baby. And guess what? You're going to lose the house payment. <laughs> and because uh, I'm wanting to be, that's the nature of gambling. That's the, na- that's the desire of it. And, uh, well, what about, uh, here's an easy one. Can you find any verses? No one, you know, say, I know what I believe, but do you have any addresses? That's why Roy Chapman used to tell me. He says, what's the address to that verse? I was real tickled the other day whenever during Bible school, I said, what, I was challenging the kids. I said, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? And they all said, Jesus wept. And then I said, where's it located in the Bible? And Jonathan Kelly spoke up real quick, but he was on my upward team, and we had went over that and went over that, and so I was so proud of him. And he said, he didn't even hesitate, didn't even bat an eye, John eleven thirty five. You know, how did he know that? Well, we went over it, you know. And the thing is, knowing where they, the other the ones that I'm thinking about is um, security of the believer. And you know that that's one of our foundational Baptist uh, beliefs, well, where's some good verses for that? You know, and there are some foundation. That's some foundational. That's like a pillar. You know, where's some good verses for that? And there's some great verses for that. But that's an apologia. That's in a defense. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Notice it says with meekness and fear. It doesn't mean give an answer as an arrogant person or a know-it-all or a show-off or i'm smarter than you or i'm holier than thou and you're an idiot going to hell and i'm going to heaven see ya wouldn't want to be ya <laughs> we don't need that kind of attitude talking to somebody you know what i mean so hey i don't know about y'all but i've met some people like that yeah hey they're just, I'm so glad. Remember that illustration that Jesus gave about prayer? There was a fellow who said uh, he wouldn't even, come, wouldn't even come inside the church building, but he just smote his breast and said, Have mercy upon me, a sinner, O God. And then the Pharisee was inside a church, and he said, Lord, I thank you that, man, you blessed me. Look, I'm so glad I'm not like him. Remember? Yeah, self-righteous. And Jesus gave that, and he said, Whose prayer was heard? Remember, that's what Jesus asked. Who did God listen to? Well, moving on quickly. So I need to be ready to give an answer to everybody. With the right attitude, it says. Verse 16, having a good conscience. And uh, simply meaning conscience is knowing right from wrong. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers. In other words, somebody says something negative or even false about you. Somebody lies on you. If somebody, think about this, if somebody was to say, come up to you, point fingers at you, come up in this church and make false accusations on you and say, well, you know what? Somebody called me a name at Promised Land and so I ain't going to church ever again. Well, That just shows me that that means that that's basically this. In other words, what kind of hindrance? Think about this. Have you ever thought about this? Think of hindrances and attacks. Somebody calling you a name. Somebody mocking you. Somebody disagreeing with you. Somebody running you down. Somebody trashing your family. 
uh, or even to the point of a tragedy, losing a life, losing this, losing this, losing this. Say we got a scale of 1 to 10. And say uh, first one, level 1 stumble is somebody calling you a name. Level 10 stumble is uh, God allowing Satan to take everything you've got like Job did. Took his health, his family, everybody from him. That would be a level 10 stumble. Remember it says in all this, Job uh, did not sin nor accuse God. He stayed true. That's what the Bible says about Job. So you got a Job as level 10. Now let me ask you this. And level 1 is just somebody calling you a name. Where are you going to quit? What's your quit? Calling a name. False. Somebody lies on you and your family. You see what I mean? How many, how many, how much stuff would it take for you to walk away and say, if that's what it means by serving the Lord, I'm not doing it. That, that's it. I've had, I've been offended. I've been name called. I've been slapped in the face. I've been spit upon. They plucked my beard out. They did this. They attacked my, uh, you don't realize I've lost a loved one. I've lost a family member. I've lost this one. I've lost my job. I've lost my health. I've got cancer. I've got this. Of what, what is your level of, I'm going to quit? Folks, there's all sorts of levels in the Bible. If we're going to suffer, let it be for the right reason. And then finally, just almost skip on down. It says, well, verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil. Mean Evil-doing means acting like a fool and bringing it on yourself. Well, I don't know why they... You know, well, I was drinking. And I did cuss somebody out the other day. And I didn't, I, but I don't know why these bad things are happening to me. Christ is our ultimate example, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. One last verse, and we're going to close out. And uh, Brother Bruce, you can pick out a song if you had not picked one out already. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. This is Christ our example, ending up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states this, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Was Jesus perfect? Yep. Never made a mistake. If they called him names, they mocked him, they ridiculed him. And he didn't quit, praise the Lord. He didn't give up. As we get ready for a hymn invitation, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for not giving up, for being our example. Dear Lord, help us whenever we struggle. And it's nothing wrong with being discouraged as long as we realize that you are our strength. You are our encouragement. Pray that we'd never be a stumbling block before others. 
that we would be an encourager and not a discourager. We would lift others up to you. Help us if we ever feel like doubting or giving up or help us to, to hang in there. Thank you for loving us even when we mess up. In Jesus' name, amen.